0: You have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Galatians. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've been rolling through the book of Galatians. Pastor Chase got us started so eloquently the last two weeks through chapter one. Now this week and next week you get to uh, listen to me take you through chapter two. This is the type of study I like to do. I like to go line by line and just look at what the Bible says and break it down and and look at everything that the Word says. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to read through it line by line. And I believe there's some nuggets, there's some thoughts, there's some principles, there's some things that the Lord wants to share with us as we go through this chapter uh, if you haven't been with us, you can go check the archives. I encourage you to do that over the last two weeks. You can find those online. Uh, but the book of Galatians, Paul is writing to the church in the region of the Galatians. There are several churches that were a part of this region. And so Paul is, is sending a message, and it's, uh, it's sort of a persuasive and an argumentative tenor to his writing. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of information there, so there's an informational text like a lot of Scripture, but he's trying to persuade and argue here because there's been some, some beef that the Galatian church have, has been fed through a bunch of false teachers who have been telling them, hey, this Paul guy, you know, Jesus is good. The gospel's good. Paul, eh, I don't trust him. Make sense? A lot of people still don't know about this guy because, you know, as we've studied back, there was a point when his name wasn't even Paul. His name was Saul. And when his name was Saul, he was going around killing people who were proclaiming Jesus. He was that devout of a Jew. Now all of a sudden we're to believe that he changes one letter of his name and everything's different. And so Paul is writing this letter trying to convince them, hey, it's legit. I've been changed and the things that I'm talking about are important. So you need to you need to listen. I have something I need to say to you. And so chapter 1 was where he was going over that and he was talking about the fact that 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 the gospel is true and it doesn't have to be torn and don't believe all of the lies and and so he continues in this first portion we're going to talk about tonight these first ten verses of chapter two, uh, two, uh, the New King James Bible which is the one I I sort of default I read it several different versions but it's the one I kind of default to it sort of has some chapter headings and this section these ten verses are are titled in the New King James Bible defending the gospel and I think that would be a good way to title, this sort of section as we dig into it tonight. It's defending the gospel. Paul's getting to the point where he's ready to proclaim what the gospel is. And most importantly, he's not afraid to proclaim what the gospel is not. Does that make sense? And so as we read through this tonight, I want you to kind of gravitate towards some things. and, And I might point out some things that may be just really going down a trail, but we'll stay on track or get back on track if we do that. Is that Okay. So go with me to verse 1 of chapter 2. So Paul is writing. In chapter 1, he talked about the fact that to try to get himself established because there are all these lies being told and all these people who didn't believe him and all these people that weren't listening to him. He even said, look, I went in chapter 1. He said, I went to Jerusalem. I hung out with Peter. Peter was like the main guy, right? He was the one all of you listened to. Y'all believe him. Listen, I went and hung out with him for about two weeks. We spent time together. We kind of talked back and forth and had discourse. And, And so we've spent time together. I'm okay. But in chapter 2, he even says, even after that, after 14 years, everybody say 14 years. So in chapter 1, he talks about, I went and hung out in Jerusalem. Now, 14 years later, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And already, you may not think, how can you pull a point out of that? Can I make a point out of this? Paul right here is dealing with the fact that there's a lot of people that are hating on it. Everybody say, haters are going to hate I don't care what it is, who you are, where you are. You start off doing something good. You want to see and and know where people stand. You start doing something good and let good start coming out of your life. I don't care who you are. I've seen it. You're going to see it in your life. Somebody's going to come out and have a problem with it. Amen? If it hadn't happened to you yet, I'm not giving you a spirit of discouragement. I'm giving you a spirit of truth It's going to happen. You let something good happen and you make a change and you start making decisions where the blessings of God start unleashing on your life and you're moving in a direction and making good choices, you would think everybody would be proud of you. Wrong. The devil's gonna start rearing his head, and people are gonna say, and they're, they're gonna start hating. There's gonna be jealousy. There's gonna be people who don't want to believe the hype and immediately gonna lash out and see what they can do to tear you down. Paul was no different. I mean, literally, as as Pastor Chase talked about, and he talked about at the end of chapter 1, I mean, this was a guy who literally had this change. There were so many people that he was a part of putting to death, yet he had changed so much that he was willing to risk his life and eventually would give his life to see people come to the saving knowledge of Christ. You would think people would be excited that such an incredible change happened, but no, there were people who said, no, I don't believe that. You name and think of, maybe this is a bad thing because I know we're not supposed to judge, but you think about it. If we named the most notorious person who we would call evil or sin, sinful in this county or state or region, and they came to church tonight and they gave their heart to God, obviously there would be a lot of people who would be excited, we'd be rejoicing, there would be revival, and then there would be some people saying, ah, I'll believe it when I see it. Give them a few weeks. <laughs> you ever said that before? I'll just give them a few weeks. Let's see if it sticks. That's kind of the vernacular we use. Let's see if it's for real, right? Well, that's sort of the deal that Paul was going through. Paul was trying to earn his way. He was trying to prove himself. He was trying to to, to have unity and fellowship with the believers, with the apostles, the ones who actually had walked and talked with Jesus, Peter and all the rest. And that comes from a good place. I believe there's a good place. There's a good um, notion behind that, a good motive behind that. But here's the, the first point I want to make. He waits 14 years before he goes back to Jerusalem. And I want to sort of make a point right here. I don't want you to let disruptions, I don't want you to let discouragements, I don't think you should allow disagreements to become distractions to your mission. Don't allow disappointments, don't allow disagreements to become a distraction. Does this make sense? Man, I came to church, and I was trying to do well, and I wanted to be a part of all seasons, but somebody said something to me, looked at me wrong, wouldn't me, set me in their group. I'm never going back. Now, hopefully you don't encounter any unfriendly people like that here in all seasons, but I'm here to tell you if you allow something minuscule to ruin you and keep you from connecting to a place God has for you, then you've got a problem. You've allowed a distraction or a disagreement to or you've allowed a disagreement or a disappointment to become a distraction. Paul didn't get down in the dumps and say, well, they won't accept me in Jerusalem. They won't let me hang out. They don't believe me yet. I guess I'm just going to sit here and cry and moan. God, I'd do something for you. But did Paul do that? No, Paul said, I want to go and minister the gospel to the people who will accept me. So listen, he didn't sit around constantly waiting. And I I don't know a a better way to say this, but but if you find yourself at a point where you find yourself disappointed because maybe certain groups haven't accepted you, maybe you find yourself where you're disappointed because life isn't where you think it ought to be and, and this person didn't affirm you and that person hasn't recognized you and this person hasn't appreciated you, I'm not telling you how to feel. But don't let that stop you. Keep going. Do what God called you to do. It doesn't really matter ultimately what anyone else says. Now, this may be too hard for Wednesday night Bible study. I'm sorry, but and it's not easy to accept. Listen, I've been there before. That's why I can speak to this. There have been times where the enemy's got it in my mind and tried to say, well, those people will never are gonna really look at you and see you in this way, and those people will never appreciate or accept. So what? God didn't call me to minister and to live. To, to sort of appease the opinions of man. He also didn't call me to, to, to think about what everyone else does every time or thinks every time I make a decision. Now listen, I, I've said this before. It doesn't mean I'm abrasive or I'm harsh. I don't go around saying, I don't care what you think. I'm going to do what I want, say what I want, and let the chips fall where they may. No, no, no. But what I am saying is if it comes to it and I'm totally riddled in my life and I won't go forward and I'm not fulfilling my callment and all I'm doing is b- blaming other people and their decisions and their opinions on it, that's not the problem I am. Is this okay? Paul didn't stop. He went and ministered and did what he was called to do. So after 14 years, it wasn't 14 years him sitting around, this was 14 years of him doing ministry, he went up again to Jerusalem. And guess what? He didn't go alone. I love this. He took with him two people. He took with him Barnabas. Barnabas, is the Bible calls the son of encouragement. How many of you know that you need people who will be sons of encouragement in your life? Amen? Listen, I know we don't need, I, I just talked about, hey, it you know, don't get too caught up in other people. But listen, if you find people in your life who are encouragement, that when you spend time with them, you feel better because their words are affirming you and they're speaking life into you, you better make sure you carve out some time to, to have them in your life. Amen? You better make time. That's why we try to get you connected because there's sons and daughters of encouragement in this house. You get connected to all seasons and you get around the right people. Every time you walk through these doors, you may come in feeling down in the dumps, but I I leave every time feeling like I'm somebody. Amen? Somebody has spoken a word of encouragement in my life. Somebody's patted me on the back and said, hey, it's going to be all right. Someone who's spoken the Word of God into my life and I can leave encouraged. Does this make sense? Paul said, I'm going back to Jerusalem, and they may not accept me yet. They may still hate me, but it's okay. I'm going to take this encouragement with me, and no matter what they say, Barnabas is going to be by my side. Amen? I'm thankful that I have people in my life when there may be a lot of people who look against me and hate me and discredit me. That's okay. There's people who love me, and I'm glad that they're in my life. Paul didn't travel alone, but he also took somebody else with him. Notice it says he also took Titus with him. You see Barnabas was a Jew. He was a son of encouragement. He was a part of the early church and he was accepted. He came the same background that Saul did, the same background that the other disciples did. They were all Jews and they had come together and they had been a part of this thing. But Titus, he was actually a convert. Titus was initially a Greek. He was a Gentile. Everybody with me? And so Paul goes out and in his ministry, he's not just preaching to the Jews, the people who, who were part of the covenant. Paul said, listen this gospel Jesus said is for everybody so I'm going to go preach to everybody and he finds people like Titus who didn't grow up circumcised he didn't grow up following the law he didn't come up in the the Jewish uh, sort of nature that everyone else did he was a Gentile he was studying Greek so I don't know maybe he came from mythology and worshipped Zeus it doesn't say that but maybe he was a part of all of that but he gets saved he hears the gospel he becomes a follower of Jesus and Paul sort of takes him under his wing can I make another point right here if you're in this thing and you're in the kingdom of god and you're walking with the kingdom of god you need to make sure that you're not doing it alone that you're linked up with other people amen you need to make sure you're linked up with people the the, one of the mission statements we have the the slogans that we have here at all seasons we grow together amen we grow together if you're doing life alone you're doing life incomplete I can't. There's no other way to say it. And that goes as far as the body of Christ. And I I can say this again because I have experience. You know, I was that student in school. Y'all know that student in school who when the teacher says, all right, we're going to work in groups today. Maybe some of y'all remember that. And I was always that student that said, you know what? I don't really want to work in groups. I can do much better myself. So let me just do all this myself. You can let them all group together. I'm gonna to end up having to do all the work probably anyway. I might as well just do it. Y'all, y'all, Some of y'all were that person, right? Some of y'all remember that person. Y'all wanted that person in your group so they'd do all the work. Right? No, I'm just kidding. But 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 all some of you were that person. You you said, hey, I can just I can do all the work. i would just rather work by myself. I don't have to answer to anybody. I don't have to. And listen, it works. it's fine when school work, when you know you're going to be graded and I'd rather just be graded for my own merit than have to depend on somebody else. But listen, that is not an attitude for growing in life. I mean, really, seriously, think about it. When Jesus came to this earth, did it say that He went out into the desert for 40 days and then when He began His ministry, did He do His ministry all by Himself? No, what did He immediately do? He went and found people, disciples to follow him, to walk with him, to go with him. Are you all listening? Is this all right? If Jesus, the Son of God, said, I can't do my ministry alone, who do we think we are to think we can go through this life without anybody else? If you're a part of this church, you're a part of this body of Christ, there need to be people that you're connected with on a deep personal level, people that are pouring into you. You need a Barnabas in encouragement, somebody that will pour into you and strengthen you. And you need to have those people in your life. If you don't, you need to seek them out. You need to, to, to ask the Lord to, to reveal and put people in your life and put relationships in your life and allow you to link up with somebody who has been there and who has some life experience and who has seen some stuff and has some maturity and some anointing on their life that can speak life into you. Does this make sense? And I'm not, again, just talking about from the stage. I mean, that's great. But, you know, like we were talking about the last few weeks, it's great to get that secondhand revelation. But you need somebody you can get on the phone and talk to. You all understand? You need somebody you can sit across the table with that will pour into you. But here's the kicker. You don't just need people pouring into you in that matter. The idea is that then you reach a point where you could turn around also, and while somebody's pouring into you, there needs to be somebody that you're reaching your hand down to and that you're grabbing a hold of, and you're then continuously pouring into them. That was Titus in this situation. Paul said that, listen, this is what's going I'm receiving encouragement from Barnabas and we're working together, but I'm keeping Titus with me and I'm pouring into him and I'm making sure that everything the Lord has revealed to me and poured into me, it doesn't stop with me because it's not about me, it's about the kingdom. So everything I have, I need to make sure it goes to somebody else. Is this alright? Just do verse 1, we got 9 more to go. But but understand, Paul was going and he was making disciples, and he said, listen, wherever I go, I have to make sure that I'm walking with somebody else. Is this all right? So let's look at it in verse 2. He says, I went up by revelation. Let me stop right there. Paul didn't just on a whim say, hey, all right, guess what? Now I've done all this. Now that I'm at this level, now that I've achieved this level, now I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, and I'm going to show them, and they're going to see what I've done because let's be honest, how many of you have that attitude, right? You know that person who may have scorned you at work, oh, you just wait until I do this, and they, they thought I couldn't do this. You just wait. We just like to show off. don't? Okay, I'll admit, I, I've been in those situations where when somebody's doubted me, there's nothing I like more to be able to show them that they were wrong. That's a natural tendency, right? But let me tell you something else. In the kingdom of God, that's the flesh. Does that make sense? In the flesh is about trying to puff ourselves up and show that we were able to do something. If Paul would have went to Jerusalem in the flesh and tried to show them and convince them that it was by his power and his might, and then they would accept him, I don't believe he would have been successful. I don't believe the Lord would have blessed those efforts, and I don't believe they would have accepted him. Is this okay? You know, pastors have been preaching about the the mysterious over the last few weeks, and I know when I say these types of things, you may think, oh, I'm getting out there in a cuckoo lane. But I think it's important for us in the body of Christ, the Spirit-filled believers who believe that the Holy Spirit is God's presence here on earth, and they believe that we can walk with Him and He can speak to us, need to understand that we need to make sure we have some revelation before we walk. We need to make sure that the Lord is going before us before we act. Is this Okay. Now listen, there are seasons, and I'm not trying to to be contradictory, there are seasons in life where the Lord will ask us to step out in faith in trusting that He will be there for us. And I believe we all face those situations. But I also believe a lot of times we get in our flesh and we make decisions and we have conversations and we try to step out and do things that didn't come from any type of revelation from the Lord. It came from just our own ideas and our own agenda. Does this make sense? Paul didn't allow his own agenda to guide his actions. He didn't decide to go and have this second conversation in Jerusalem with the rest of the disciples until the Lord revealed and spoke the Word. Because I'm here to tell you, if the Lord speaks the Word, again, it doesn't matter what anyone else says, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, if the Lord speaks the Word, that means He's going before and He's going to provide every opportunity, every door that needs to be opened, every financial resource I'm going to need. Amen? He waited for revelation. When the Lord speaks, you need to go. Amen. A lot of you are like me, I, I would think. Maybe you're not, but I'll tell you that I'm a very, if you if you don't know me, I'm very much a logical and analytical person. Does that make sense? If I'm gonna make a decision, that means I've usually had the you know the old legal pad with the pros and cons charts. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I've enlisted. Well, if we do this, then this this will happen. But it will also mean this and this. And then you weigh them out and you have to determine which is the lesser of the two evils or which is the best, right? Which side can I live with the most? Does that make sense? I very much want to know, okay, how is this going to work? And I'm going to be real frank. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's the way I've been created. Does that make sense? I believe really the Lord is a logical person or a logical being, not a person, a being. The Lord is logical. The problem is, is his logic is so far above ours we don't always understand it. Everything ever is always lined out with the Lord, but here's the deal. Since we're in a relationship with him that's built on faith, there are going to come moments, there are going to come times, there are going to come situations where he's going to ask you to do something and he's not going to be able to you're not going to be able to see all the logical steps of how it's going to work. He's just going to say, "Do you trust that I can make it happen?" When the Lord speaks in those moments, He's not waiting for us to let Him show us the steps. He's waiting for us to act. Does that make sense? So it's important for us to understand that we need to go when He speaks. And so He went up by revelation. Then He communicated to Him that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So let's break that down. So he he got a revelation that he needed to go to Jerusalem after 14 years. He goes to Jerusalem and he begins to talk to all of the people. When he says them, we're talking about the disciples, the people in the church at Jerusalem, the original people that had come together on the day of Pentecost and that were that were there and they were ready to send people out and build the church. And he began to tell them, this is what I'm preaching. Because again, all these rumors are going around. All these peoples are spreading words. Hey, Paul's preaching a false gospel. Paul's preaching a false gospel. It's not right. Don't listen to it. Paul's saying, well, if you think I'm preaching a false gospel, let me tell you what I'm preaching and you be the judge. But I want you to notice something else. He's going in Revelation so that he knows that the Lord has gone before and prepared the way in the heart for him to go and do this. But he also walks in wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. Just because the Lord speaks doesn't mean He he doesn't want you to use common sense. Is that okay? Again, I believe the mysterious. There are times the Lord speaks and you're not going to understand the reason why, but there's a reasoning for it. Then there are times when He tells Paul to go, but He didn't say for Paul to go and just then go start lambasting everybody and have a big public meeting and get up in front of everybody and say, I called you all here. I want to know who's talking about me. He didn't start a confrontation that was going to scare everybody and get everybody mad. Because how well would that have went over? Is this okay? He said, you know what? This is what I need to do. He started going individually to the different people. Not in a way, and we'll get into that. This wasn't in a way where he was trying to, he wasn't working the room. Y'all know what I mean by that? We kind of joke in preacher circles. You go to preacher meetings and these people who are quote unquote work in the room, they go from one person to another. You know, any other time they're not talking to them. But if it's like a meeting where people are voting on somebody or they need, you know, they all want to know, you want you to know their name. Anyway, I'm sorry. Maybe y'all have a business that's like that. I don't know. People work the room. I am in mean, education, I see that happen at convocations and things. People, you know, any other time, but you know, superintendents around, Oh, let me go shake their hand. Anyway, let me get off of that. But just trying to make sure we're rubbing elbows with the right people, make sure that they see us, that we're all smiles and we get the photo op, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to everyone privately. I'm going to have a conversation with them. I'm going to bear my heart. I want them to hear my heart and I want to know their heart. And I want them to understand that nothing I'm doing is out of vain or ill content. Nothing I'm doing is out of my glory. I want them to know that I honestly believe wholeheartedly in this gospel that we're preaching, that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died for the sins of the world. He was risen from the dead. And anyone who calls upon his name can be forgiven and brought into the kingdom of God. Amen and that's the gospel. And this gospel is for everyone, whosoever believes. Is this okay? And so that's what he's saying. Listen, I I, I wanted to go and I wanted to talk to them who were of uh, reputation. Those people who were known, who were a part of the church. But notice this last part of the verse. Lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Let me explain what he means like that, by that. The big as again, we kind of talked about the last couple of weeks, but the the, the major contention between his gospel and the gospel of, of Peter and the rest of the church was this idea that when the Jewish people came into covenant, they had to be circumcised. That was even before Jesus. That was the sign that you were separated. And so now, Jesus has come, we're part of the kingdom of God, He is our Savior, but the people who had been circumcised, I guess, thought that everyone else should be circumcised. If I had to go through it, you should too. Okay, that's, we'll leave it there. It was this idea that everyone should have to do it, So, but but Paul was very staunch in saying, well, wait a minute, if the gospel is for everybody and the gospel simply says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, how can I then add another act on top of that? You can't. Because if you claim that someone has to do another act on top of just receiving salvation, you've destroyed the whole foundational idea of salvation. Does this make sense? You can't say that someone is saved by grace alone and then try to add some works on top of it. That was the contention. And so Paul said, "Listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to explain what I mean. I'm going to tell them what the revelation I have. I'm going to explain why this is scriptural, true. Why Jesus Christ preached this Himself. But here's the deal: if they can't accept it, I'm not going to be able to unite and run with them. Does this make sense? And this leads to my next point. I didn't number these or do anything, so you know, I'm sorry if they're sporadic." I just kind of, you know, as I read through it, the Lord sort of showed me some things. But can I give you a truth? It's not a fun truth, but it is a truth. There's just some people in this life that are not going to be able to run with you. And likewise, maybe it means the same thing, but there's just some people you're not going to be able to run with them. Does this make sense? There's going to come a point where if you're going to run this race for God and you're going to do the things that God has called you to do, not everybody that may, may, may be connected to you right now is going to be able to keep up with you on that pace. And I'm here to tell you something. It's okay. It's okay. There's going to be some people that may be running at a different pace than you are. And you, you just may need to let them go do their thing. And that's okay. Can I, I don't know why I keep saying this, but they keep coming to my mind. The tenets of our church here at All Seasons, I love it. You know what our mission statement is? We want to reach the lost, reach people for Jesus. We teach, we make sure that you know the principles of the kingdom of God. We train you to make sure you know how to create disciples and to reach the lost in your callings and your gifting. And then the fourth one, we don't like to talk about it too much, but it's part of it, it's releasing. Sometimes there are certain people that need to go run in a different lane to do what God's called them to do. Does this make sense? Don't all of you leave here and say, Pastor Bradley just released I I didn't release anybody, okay? Ask the Lord. Don't get me in trouble tonight. But that's that's part of it. There comes moments where people are released to do the things of God. And we've created this culture that if people are released or people become disconnected with you for whatever reason, that it always has to be something negative and there was something wrong and there was something wrong with you or something wrong with them. That's just simply not the case. You can get that in your mind and understand that principle. The Lord will be able to give you peace even when you're going through the pain of separation. Is this okay? Not everybody on this life was created to run with you, and there may be different seasons that you have with people. Paul knew, he just went ahead and said that if, if they don't, if I get there and they're so stuck on this tradition and their way that they're not going to have it, then I'm not going to be able to, to stay in that lane. Does this make sense? I can't jeehaw with that. And so, if that's a word, I don't know, but I think you understood it. He said, I can't, I can't run with that. And so he goes and he starts having conversations. And in verse 3, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So I think that's kind of interesting, the way it's written. He wasn't compelled... And I think you can almost interpret it twice. I tried to look at different ways as I was studying that this week and never really found a consensus. So I'm not sure if when he got there, the people decided and said, hey, you Titus, you need to be circumcised right now. You're a Greek. You can't be accepted in. And Titus just said, no, I'm not doing that. I don't have to. I'm saved. Or maybe they were understood what Paul was preaching so strongly that they just said, "You know what? We're we're moving past that." Regardless, I want you to understand this point that the truly born again do not need to accept requisites that have been placed on them by men. I'll say it again. The truly born again do not have to accept a requisite that's been placed on you by man. And again, I don't want to try to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to, well, let me take that back. I don't necessarily care for ruffle feathers. I'm not trying to be controversial, is this a better way to say it? I'm not just trying to, you know, be like a shock preacher right here and just say things. But I I just have to speak the truth. Is that okay? If you go to a place and they tell you that you have to dress in a certain way or that your hair has to be a certain length or if there's certain physical outside things that have to happen to ensure you're saved, they're trying to. It's a requisite on salvation that they didn't pay for. Jesus did. Is this okay? Listen, I believe that there are lines that will be crossed. I believe that there's sanctification. I believe there's things that that as the Holy Spirit begins to work on your life, that you'll lay down. I believe that our lives need to look different from the world. Amen? I'll stand on that and believe that holiness is God's standard for living. Amen? I believe we were called and created and designed to live a holy life and that holy life it can be can be brought for us and worked in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe it and we'll preach it all day long. But there's no kind of rule that I can create and enforce on you to ensure you're holy. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I hope this is okay. But just like in Galatians they couldn't add circumcision and say that you have to do this in order to be saved. Jesus already paid the price. Listen, it wasn't the mark on their body that made them save, it was the marks that Jesus took on his body. Amen. And for the same reason there's no man-made law that we can enforce here on this earth to try to make you saved. Let's move on verse 4. And this now occurred Because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. So notice, they're trying to have these meetings. He's going around and trying to talk with people. He's trying to fellowship with people. He's trying to build relationships. And he's trying to express what it is that he's preaching so that they can get on the same page. And even what he's trying to do is good. There's always people sneaking around, looking, starting rumors. And all they're doing is trying to sort of trip him up and get everybody to turn on Paul. Why? Because he was preaching the true gospel. And the true gospel is dangerous. You know why? Because the true gospel doesn't require man. It's all what God did. Let me me put it to you this way. Look at verse 5, and then I'll read this. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. In other words, Paul said they were sneaking around and they were trying to, to, to get us and catch us up, but we didn't even listen. We didn't pay on no mind. Make sure you understand this point. I'm going to read it here. It says, or I said this, Tradition is always going to bring bondage and it's going to empower men. you understand what I'm saying? We've talked about it in chapter 1 and he goes into it right here, but I need you to understand why we talk so much about tradition. And I know I'm not talking about what you do with your family around the holidays, and I'm not talking about things that just happen that we enjoy, but when it becomes a point that when they come into conflict, we're going to keep our tradition versus what the Bible actually says... Tradition's always going to simply empower man. Why do people like to keep tradition? Because it keeps people in power. If all we do is what we've always done, then you can continue to have the power you've always had. Does that make sense? I don't care if that's in the church, in the business, in your home, you know, anything like that. The reason why a lot of people like to keep tradition is because they don't want anybody possibly infringing on their authority or their kingdom or their power. Is this okay? Tradition's always gonna bring bondage and empower men, but here's the deal. The truth, the Bible says, Jesus said the truth sets us. Tradition's always gonna to try to put you in some sort of chain, some sort of lock, some sort of box. The truth will free you from all of that. And instead of man being empowered because of the way that they've been able to master tradition and the way that they could carry out tradition, God then receives the glory because He's the only one who is powerful enough to give us the freedom we have. Amen? It's good preaching, Pastor Bradley. Keep going. Verse 6, But those who seem to be something... Now, I love this right here. Can I, can I get a little technical here? If I'm, I'm, I don't know Greek. I didn't go to a seminary and study any type of Greek, but I have a couple of tools that, and I listen to people who've studied Greek, so they can just give me the cliff notes and I can sound smart. Isn't that cool? I love 2023. But no, they, <laughs> there's some Greek scholars who have, who have sort of read this, and I heard them sort of speaking, and I can kind of understand it from what I do know about English, is that... They say that in the Greek, Paul was very well educated. Y'all understand that? Paul, you know, the reason he was so high up in, 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 the, the church that he was is that he, while he was under, you know, he studied in Greece, he studied in Rome, he had this great education, he knew all the classics, he knew language probably better than anybody. He was an, that's why he wrote so much. He was an incredible, uh, person, incredibly educated man. So there's no doubt that within people who study Greek and read his writing, he knew Greek grammar up into the ends. He was probably my type of guy. But a lot of people say that in the original Greek in Galatians 2 around this point that if you look at the original transcripts the ink gets a little bit darker which indicates that the pen was very much pushed onto the paper. I know we type now but you ever some of you ever write a note where you was that mad and you just the writing was just really big? I remember when I've gotten a memo before at school or something that was kind of snarky and I didn't like. I would always sign or write something back in the largest letters possible because I wanted them to feel what I felt. Y'all know what I mean? Or if I hear somebody that's typing an email to somebody that they're not happy with, that just seems the keyboard is like ten times as loud. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all gonna have enough? Well, here's. The, the, the Greek scholars say that the ink on the original documents was very much darkened and that there were more grammar errors or, or slang, according to Greek, in this section than any other. You know what that tells me? Paul had gotten so, or that's what most people believe, Paul had gotten so angry that he's then gone from being the nice, formal Paul. So he's like Medea Paul. That's the only way I know. The verse actually came out. This is like Paul that said, we ain't doing this. Y'all ain't going to... You know what I'm talking about. Y'all know when the tone changes, right? Y'all had those mamas. I did. I know when the tone changed. And so it starts right here. He says that those who seem to be something, whatever they were, (laughs) it makes no difference to me. I love this about Paul, and I want to make this point here. Paul did not allow political affection to affect the way that he carried out his ministry. Did y'all hear that? I want to say that again. Paul did not allow political affiliation or or political uh, situations to affect his ministry. Now, when I say political, I'm not talking about the government, Republican, Democrat, all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. Does that make sense? I'm talking about just the ability that I need to make sure that those people are happy because if they're happy, I can do what I need to do. Y'all know what I mean? I'm talking about people trying to abuse a system to where, you know, those are the people I need to keep happy and those are the people that don't matter that I can just kind of ignore. And I know sh- surely none of y'all ever get into those types of systems, right? Hope that's true. Hope no one does. I hope that's not the case. But sometimes, even yes, within churches, people can, can find themselves in some sort of political system where you know, they're, all they want to do is make sure that the right people are happy with them. They're willing to to tell somebody one thing and somebody else something else. If, If they go to an authority and they don't hear what they want to hear, they'll just keep climbing the channel until they find the person with enough power who will tell them what they want to hear. Does this make sense? It's getting quiet now because now we're getting serious. But I love this about Paul. Paul said, I wasn't playing their political games. I don't care how powerful they thought they were. I don't care what their name was. Or, or how important it was, I, I, none of that mattered to me. All that mattered to me is what they knew what the true gospel was, and they believed what the true gospel says. Amen? What would happen in the American church if we would stop worrying about what the influencers of the day, and what the politicians of the day, and what the people who we thought were celebrities of the day were doing, and try to conform what we believed to them, and what if we stood for the truth regardless of what they said? Amen? Paul said, whatever they were, it made no difference to me, because God shows no favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something, guess what? They didn't add nothing to me. Verse 7, But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to be circumcised, or to the circumcised. And they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. So Paul says, I didn't care about the political. The only audience that I need to make sure that I'm pleasing is the audience of one. Amen? I was thinking about it this week. This is kind of one of the, I always get a chuckle. I've seen it happen when I was teaching junior high students, and I taught high school students. Now I'm in a classroom. I've taught college students online. Now I'm teaching college students in a classroom, and This week, giving them their first assignments. It was kind of a simple assignment. Quite frankly, I thought it would take them a few minutes to do. It was a review of something they probably, I thought, would have done in high school and all those things. But I always get tickled because every little thing they have a question about. I mean, the directions are written on the paper, right? I read the directions and go over the directions. I explain the directions for each exercise but it never fails. Five, not even five minutes, I'm walking around the room. Someone raises your hand. What do we do right here again? So do I need to do this? So are you asking us to do this? Now I used to, in my younger, less patient days, that would anger me and I'd finally say, oh, Josh, it must have been college. You know, that's what I thought I would say. And but you know, now it kind of makes me chuckle. I get kind of patient and I kind of laugh because this is what I realized. They're trying to learn me. And in that moment, the only opinion that kind of matters as far as who's going to grade that assignment and judge what they receive is who? Me in that case, right? I also laugh sometimes as I'll see because I've taught this class online and I know it's going to happen eventually. I'll give an assignment. They won't ask any questions. They won't send any emails. And then right before it's due, they'll say, hey, I didn't know we had to do that. They'll Yada yada in the other class said that we didn't have to do that. Or my teacher at this school used to say that we didn't have to do that. And I always kind of chuckle and in the nicest way possible without being sarcastic says, yeah, but they're not grading your paper. (laughs) Does that make sense? So why do we all the times in the kingdom of God on this earth spend so much time looking to try to appease the opinion of man and woman and, and the society, and when at the end of the day, when I stand before the throne to be judged for my life, it's not going to be any celebrity on this earth, it's not going to be anyone in this room or affiliated with this church that's standing there, it's going to be God. So again, I don't say that to, to... and I always like to preface it, I don't say that to... some people used to say that, and I know they just use it as an excuse to be a jerk to everybody, because they didn't care what... I and mean, that's not what I'm telling you at all. But I do refuse to live in bondage of worrying about other people's opinions and thoughts of me. The first and foremost thought that I'm going to look at is the Lord and make sure I'm pleasing Him and doing what He's called me to do. Does this make sense? I'm not rehashing that. I just thought that was important to bring into crystallization as we get to this last point. So Paul gets everybody together and he brings the people together and he shows them what's going on. And they come to sort of an agreement. Everybody says, you know what, Paul? This gospel that you're preaching is true. We believe it. But they also come to this agreement that there's going to be a lot of confusion, Paul, if you go to all these Jews who are already circumcised and start saying that other people... It's just going to mess people up. Peter's always already doing a fantastic job going to these people, preaching to them, and bringing them into the saving knowledge of Jesus, knowing that they have to go beyond just the circumcision. Does that make sense? You go out into the the highways and byways, go to the Gentiles, preach to all the people who don't have this knowledge, and bring them into the gospel. And that's what they did. All we simply ask is that we unify on this method that we're all going to take care of the poor, because that is a core value of the church. Let me finish you up with two more points. Are you ready? Everybody has a specified anointing and call. If you listen to me any amount of time when I stand up here, you probably get sick of me saying it because I probably work it into every sermon. But it's just one of the most important principles of my life that have led me to, that has led me to where I am. And I think all of you need to hear it every single day. You are called to be you. You weren't called to be me. Amen. You weren't called to be Pastor Bradley. You should be thankful for that. Hallelujah. I wasn't called to be you. And again, I'm not saying that in some sort of derogatory term. That, that We all have a specific anointings that we've been given. I wasn't called to be Pastor Lott. Pastor Lot wasn't called to be Pastor Bradley. I wasn't called to be T.D. Jakes or anybody else. We, I was simply called to be myself. Is that okay? And because of that, there is going to be a group of people and, and there are going to be avenues, there are going to be methods, there are going to be strengths that my personality, that my style, that that things are going to connect with that someone else may not connect with. Is this okay? Not only are there going to be people that I connect with more, there are going to be roles. There are roles that you could put Pastor Bradley in that I would do very well in when it comes to ministry, the church, uh, the the just in, in the marketplace, there are things that I will do really well. And at the same time, there are roles that you stick me in, it's going to tank faster than anything. Is this okay? And guess what? You all are the same way. Amen? There are things if I come and ask you to do that immediately you'd be like, "Nope, that's not it. And here's the beauty of it. It's okay. What we have done within the body of Christ, within the kingdom of God, within the church on church staffs, within people who sit on pews, within people who are out in the marketplace and in the world. We've allowed the enemy to come in and make us people who are all about competition and comparison. The enemy has come in and said that you need to watch out because somebody else, oh, somebody else is doing more than you. Oh, somebody else, there, all those people are over there talking to them now and everybody's over there talking to you. oh. oh, oh. That class out there, they had three people saved. In your class, didn't have anybody saved today. Oh, oh! That person went to work and was able to witness to seven people, and you went to work and you didn't witness to anybody. Oh! Now again, I'm not saying it's, you need to witness to people, okay? But do y'all understand the point I'm trying to make. The enemy will get in your mind and start making you feel inferior and make you feel like that 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 you're not good enough because he's going to try to point out what other people are doing. On the other hand, you start seeing some fruit happen in your life, and that's good, but the enemy will come in and try to make you prideful and make you think, oh, look what I'm doing. Maybe you should learn from me. Maybe do this better than you. Does that make sense? None of those things are are meant to be in the kingdom of God. We weren't meant to be competitors, and we weren't meant to, to compare ourselves to one another. We were meant to collaborate and use our gifts together for a common mission. Is that okay? I'll even say it further. Listen, we here at All Seasons are going to strive to be the best that All Seasons can be. We want to reach as many people as possible. But nowhere within the mission statement is it or should it ever be that we want to make sure that we're better than every other church and list them out and name them. I hope that's okay. I just threw it out there. but I mean, That's the way I believe it. I believe the kingdom of God. If every church and forest is growing, we're seeing the kingdom expand. I'm not responsible for what they do. I'm responsible for what we're doing. But I want to see everybody grow and everybody be uh, what they're meant to be. Amen? Everyone has a specified anointing and calling. We don't need to get mired in competing with people, comparing ourselves. We need to collaborate and let everyone use their streets and their gifts to build this kingdom. It leads to the final point here I want to make. Regardless of the method or the preference, Again, everybody, as I said, every church, I believe there's different churches. Maybe you could go back and we could argue and trace the history. And that's another story for another day on why there's so many, whether there should be, whether there shouldn't be. I don't know. I do know that different churches have different flavors and people find the flavor that they like. I'm glad that I found the flavor here at All Seasons. This is one that works real well for me. I'm glad that that we're here. And we're but but regardless of whether or not this is your flavor or not, whether, regardless or not of whether the style isn't listen, even within all seasons, maybe my preaching tonight wasn't your flavor, and you're like, man, one Pastor Chase coming back. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> regardless of that, what we can agree on is it's not about any of those things. It's not about me. It's not about a personal gain. It's the fact that regardless of whether we have different preferences, different styles, different motives, we're all on the same team. Amen. We're on the same team. We have the same mission. We have the same goal, and that's to reach everyone with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul said that I'm going to defend that until the day I die. I don't care who it is and what they say, what tradition says. I don't care how powerful and what kind of name that person has. It's all about glorifying Jesus and preaching the truth. And I'm going to ensure with my life that the truth goes forth and everyone has an opportunity to hear the gospel. Amen? Stand with me tonight. I'm going to ask you to bow your hearts with me. And as we close, simply ask for you to allow the Holy Spirit tonight to to search your heart. Obviously, if you're in this place and maybe you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and convict. It's the Holy Spirit that draws and He may be drawing you to come to a saving knowledge of Him tonight. But maybe you're here and As we've gone through this, maybe the Holy Spirit's kind of dealing with you and convicting you. Maybe there's areas in your life, maybe within your family, maybe within your work, maybe within... the the kingdom of God, maybe within the church or with what God's called you to do. Maybe you found yourself idle and you're not active and maybe you found yourself stuck and not doing the things that God's called you to do and you've blamed that on what other people have said. Other people may have said hurtful things. Other people may have said things to discourage you. Other people may have not have welcomed you in or accepted you like you thought that they would or they should. Maybe you feel lonely and the enemy has you convinced that because of that you're not going to do any good and he has you stuck. I'm here to tell you tonight, you don't have to continue down that path. The gospel of Jesus is for everyone, so every single one of you in this place, every creed, every color, man, woman, boy, girl, it doesn't matter. God created you with destiny. He put things inside of your soul that He wants to see you accomplish here on this earth. And Regardless of what anyone else has said or any outside force has tried to do to to try to stifle that, the power of the Lord is is enough that if you'll say, I'm going to keep moving, He'll give you the strength to keep moving. Don't allow discouragement and disappointment to distract you from what He's called you to do. Let me encourage you, if you've been in a place or come from an upbringing where people have tried to put some sort of requisite on your salvation, let me encourage you today, if you have called upon the name of the Lord and you have made Him the Lord of your life and you surrendered your life to Him, you're born again. You're a part of the kingdom and He loves you. Don't allow doubt to continue to drag you down. Walk in the freedom of knowing that you're saved. Amen? And allow the Holy Spirit to begin to make the changes. He'll begin to put things in your spirit. He'll begin to reveal things to you. Those things you used to do that He doesn't want in your life, He'll start letting you know, hey, let's not do that anymore. And He'll begin to give you the strength to put those things away. Amen? If you're here and you're going through that, just as we're praying tonight, I just pray right there where you're you're standing. If you'll just with your hands, just symbolically lift your hands to heaven with those burdens, with those thoughts, with those things the enemy's tried to weigh you down, you're just going to lift them up off of your soul tonight and you're going to give them back to God and say, God, I don't care what the enemy says, I'm good enough and you're worthy and I'm going to do everything I can to follow your path. Father, tonight we thank you and we praise you. We give You honor. We give You glory. We worship You for being holy and for mighty. Holy Spirit, we welcome You into this place. Holy Spirit, continue to sweep this place right now. Sweep over this congregation and over every single one that's here. Begin to convict and speak to each and one that's here. Father, those lies of the enemy that they have begun to believe as truth, Holy Spirit, right now, convict them. Speak the voice of truth into their soul. Father, You have called them, God, for a destiny. So father let us not get mired down when the world or when people have not accepted us. Father maybe we feel like that we're not receiving our just due. Father the Lord we're just discouraged maybe from disappointment. Father today I pray that you'll give us the strength and determination to keep going, to keep moving forward one step at a time. Cuz father you'll be with us. Father any Man-made tradition that has tried to bound or confuse our minds. Father, I pray that those things are broken now in the name of Jesus. We're saved and we're free through the blood of the Lamb. Father, today, let us not worry about compromise. Let us not be riddled by the opinions of man, society, celebrity, or anyone else. Father, let the number one voice in our life be Your voice. Open our souls, our spirits, and our ears and help us hear what it is You would have us to say. Father, this week I pray that You'll continue to break these chains and help us to walk in Your favor in Your freedom. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen, Amen. God bless you. You guys go give the devil fits this week. We'll see you next week.